You're listening to a completely new season of Limbic Light Podcast with Manisha Blunchley and co-host David Niven-Miller. In this season, we'll be discussing slightly controversial, extremely useful topics designed to help and empower you with knowledge about simple products and methods to make you healthier in completely natural, safe, effective and affordable ways. I've titled this season Unspoken Truths as the information you'll receive is information which is so often hard to find and sometimes blatantly hidden from us. So, welcome. So, we're back for part two on this huge topic of cancer and I think we'd need actually 10 parts to cover it sufficiently. (laughs) Yes, so we were talking about different contributing causes towards the big C condition. One of the things I wanted to just bring up before we go on to some real good solution types of solutions that we can look at to help someone with this condition, I wanted to look at radiation. Now, most people don't realise with their mobile phone and their computers and everything that runs on smart energy, it puts out a certain amount of radiation and it's in the microwave range. And there are so many studies that are coming out now that when we're exposed, particularly on a continual basis to this microwave radiation, it has an effect, a detrimental effect on our little mitochondria. And of course, we said in the part one how mitochondria are key to working effectively so that we don't have a diagnosis of cancer. So what we're finding is that many people are being diagnosed with cancer. We don't know exactly what it is, but we also know that there is a huge exponential rise in the amount of self phone towers, in the amount of people's use on their smart tablets, on their mobile phones. And unfortunately, most people aren't educated on really healthy, hygienic ways to use their phones and these appliances. So I wanted to bring this up because in my mind, it's actually a huge contributing factor to our raised rates of cancer. And even though it's not something we can always run away from, and we've also got, as you mentioned before, David, we've got to be very diligent about not getting overstressed about our exposure to this because it's everywhere. We still do need to have certain protocols in place, like switching things off or not holding mobile phones to our heads, if possible, wiring our computers with Ethernet instead of sitting in front of a computer which is blasting the radiation for so many hours. So looking at that whole electromagnetic radiation, because it is a radiation, is so key in my mind to helping this whole process in treating or preventing rather the cancer. So I won't talk too much more about that, but did you want to add anything to that, David? Yes, I agree that uh, radiation is a a major trigger, uh, I wouldn't call it cause, but um, a major trigger for cancer today. And there's quite a lot you can do to have a 
a minimal exposure. So if you're living in a city, it's impossible to get out of the sea of radiation in which we live. And in fact, if you worry about it or obsess about it, it's the worry will be far more damaging uh, and the stress that comes with it will be far more damaging than the radiation itself. So there's a few simple things that you can do to minimize your exposure to radiation and then just get on and live your life. And uh, as Manisha said, the, the most important things that you can do is on your computer, use a cord to connect to your modem rather than Wi-Fi. So minimize the, the Wi-Fi in your home with your computer, with your television set. Try and stay as far, far away as you can from the base station, but don't obsess about it. So cables where you can. And the other big source of radiation is your mobile phone. That's probably the biggest source by far for most people. What I am doing at the moment is I'm, I haven't got a 5G phone and I'll delay getting a 5G phone for as long as I can. But eventually we're all going to have 5G phones and I'm not sure whether you'll have much choice in being able to turn off the 5G and go 4G. But I, I guess eventually we'll all have 5G. But there's a couple of things that you can do. The, the most important thing to do with your mobile phone, I believe, is to keep it away from your head when you're using it and don't have it on your body right next to your body when you're not using it. So instead of keeping your mobile phone in a pocket all day, have it in a, in a bag or keep it just a, a meter away from your body if you possibly can. When your mobile phone is switched on, even when you're not using it, there's quite a lot of radiation that's, that's coming out of it every few seconds because it's checking to see whether a call's coming in or whether you've got any new messages or so on. So it's still emitting radiation. The, the most important thing that I've done with my mobile phone is I, I've, I've bought a pair of Bluetooth headphones. You can get earbuds or headphones. Bluetooth is a, uh, it's, it's also a form of radiation but it is a tiny fraction of the radiation that comes with Wi-Fi. So instead of using your mobile phone and holding it right next to your ear, at the very least, put it on a speakerphone and have it a couple of feet from your body, or even better, use a Bluetooth pair of headphones and have your mobile phone a couple of meters away or just leave it somewhere else in your house and you can walk around having your conversation using Bluetooth. And as I said, Bluetooth is a hundredth or even a thousandth of the energy emission of Wi-Fi. It, it depends on completely on the, on the circumstances and situation, but Bluetooth, although it is a form of radiation, it's so low that it reduces the level of harm dramatically. So that's, that's, that's my take on it. And mm. once you've done, the, done what you can there, just leave it and don't even think about it again because that's just worrying and stress. 
Mm. I just wanted to comment because I'm a real EMF buff that I'm sorry, David, but I actually don't agree with you about the Bluetooth. I think anything that emits microwaves that you have very close to, particularly to your head, is a danger because they do show that even very small amounts accumulate. And But anyway, I'm, I'm not here to say that. And also the other point I wanted to bring up is that it's not just 5G, but 4G, particularly when there's several 4G, even 3G to an extent too, is also very harmful to us as well. And I I just think, I guess I'm maybe a bit extreme on that, but I've heard and seen and felt and experienced too much in that field to, to be lax on it. So I just encourage everyone to be really careful. I think what you said about the speakerphone is a fantastic idea. Keep it I treat my phone as if it's it's a hot radiation device and I keep it as far <laughs> away yes. as possible from me when I'm speaking. And if if people want earbuds, I think there's air tubes which don't transmit the signal from the phone to the head. I think they've been shown to be the safest by far. There's no radiation that gets transmitted along the wires that way. But anyway, let's that's, move yeah, on. That's a good point. I forgot <laughs> that one. Oh, there's one other thing as well that, that's a really healthy thing for individuals and particularly for families to do, and that is to have a screen-free day once a week. Mm, so no screens totally agree. at all. Everything turned off. Mm. You're uncontactable. Mm. No games, No nothing, no TV once a week. It's, it's healthy in all sorts of ways, particularly mm. in going back to the way that families used to interact. Mm, I agree with you. And I even say that that's great for adults. And to expand on that, something that I do at least once a year, usually it's maybe three times a year, I actually go somewhere where there is no, well, there is no Wi-Fi coverage. So I don't take my phone and I go camping and I'm just completely off the grid. So there's no technology, no EMF and back to nature and um, I think being able to de-plug or unplug rather from the grid and from all that input, that toxic input of the technology and the EMF is really helpful to do on a regular basis. So I yeah, totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's move on to another subject. What I really wanted to talk about is some of the things that have been discovered that can be helpful once you do have a diagnosis of the cancer. There's a few that I know. There's actually quite a few different things, and sometimes it can be even an issue because people get bombarded with so many different ways. But how about we just speak about a few that we know have definitely had positive impact. So David, I'll hand it over to you. What your you mentioned fasting as being and eliminating sugar as being two of the really big contributors. What about some others? Well, if I was diagnosed with cancer, there's no question in my mind. The number one thing to do by, by far the most important is fasting. Um, mm -hmm. and, and ironically, fasting will help so many other kinds of illness as well. But with, with a serious cancer, if you can Continue on a, a high sugar, uh, lots of eating diet. People just don't know that. Uh, mm -hmm. Fasting is by far the most important thing. There. It's a, yeah, number one. Excellent. Um, You've got on your list oxygen therapy. Now, given that we talked about the Warburg effect, that 
oxygen is key to this whole process in developing the cancer cells or the fermentation and not having enough oxygen. Maybe you could talk to us about some of the oxygen therapies you think might be helpful. So, yeah, it's about different ways of getting more oxygen into your body. One of them is through proper breathing and deep breathing and breathing through your nose. It's really important for good health in general to be a nose breather. If you're a mouth breather, you've actually got a big disadvantage there. So learn to breathe through your nose, get into the habit of breathing through your nose, even when you're sleeping at night. And uh, I've got a web page on that. But there's there's also different ways of of getting more oxygen into your body. The, The next obvious one is aerobic exercise. So that's exercise where you, as you start exercising, you're breathing more deeply and your pulse rate goes up. That's really good as a cancer preventative and a cancer treatment. And then there's different products that you can use to get more oxygen into your body. One of them I use quite often is called cell food, where you put a few drops of a product into a glass of water, and uh, it's it's an oxygenator. It assists your body to get more oxygen, to circulate more oxygen in the bloodstream, and provides more oxygen available for cells. There are other products that can increase oxygen. Cell food I I use, and that's a a skin cancer treatment as well, although there's not a word of that on any website. It's it's completely unofficial, and I wouldn't begin to suggest that cell food is sold with that in mind. But you can get oxygen and increase your oxygen level with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, where you can hire a chamber and use that several times mm. a week uh, mm. if you do have cancer of some sort. And there are, there are other oxygen products. And mm. generally, all of them I would recommend if you have cancer. Mm. I just wanted to mention about the hyperbaric oxygen chambers. They are, I think, very effective, as I've heard. And I just wanted to mention that one of our local hospitals, it's Fiona Stanley, apparently does have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And usually it costs quite a bit for people to have a session in these chambers. But if people are have the diagnosis of cancer, they can get a, a script or a referral from their doctor and have a free whole series of sessions in this particular hyperbaric chamber in the hospital. So maybe that's something people could check out with their local hospital if they have this chamber. Hyperbaric, it's called. It's basically an oxygen chamber that you sit inside and you take in high concentrations of of oxygen. That was one thing I wanted to mention. And the other thing which is along the lines of oxygen is ozone therapy. It's a two-pronged thing. One, ozone, the active oxygen basically separates into a very reactive ozone molecule, which then grabs hold of the free radicals in our body, the impurities, and quickly destroys them. So ozone which is a form of oxygen, could be a really good therapy to look at as well. So um, I just wanted to mention that. You can have saunas with ozone. You can have rectal infusions of ozone, which apparently is 
is very, very well tolerated and absorbed into your body. And you can also have an IV intravenously ozone. There's some doctors around who will do that, but it's also a, a very controversial, unfortunately, therapy that our TGA has targeted a lot of medicos who are using that therapy for whatever reason. So you may need to hunt around to find somebody who can administer ozone therapy, but it's one of the top, in my mind, one of the top methods of helping a cancerous condition. I'd, I'd agree with that, Manisha. Yeah, I, I recommend all of those therapies, anything you can to increase the level of oxygen circulating in your blood. And it's, it's funny, as, as is so often the case, the, the most pleasant, cheapest or free, easiest solution is often right there. So mm. um, what, what, what I recommend is to get outside in the sunlight mm -hmm. and go for a walk. And mm -hmm. while you're walking, breathe deeply. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's, it's so simple. It's so pleasant. Mm. It's so easy. And that's mm. about the best thing you can do. Mm. You know, mm. Get outside and, and just take deep breaths, particularly if you're in a, in a pleasant environment. Get out of the city center and away from the main uh, roads and cars. Get out, you know, if there's a minimal level of bush or a park or something, get out there, have a walk, get in the sunlight and deep breathe. Mm. I wanted to relate a little story of somebody that I had heard who had a, a diagnosis of cancer. And it was, I can't remember the details of where and how advanced it was, but basically she was not given the opportunity to have surgery or any of the conventional methods of treatment. So she went home and she made radical shifts in her life. She mm. stopped seeing people that she didn't feel comfortable with. She spent a lot mm. of time in nature. She went for long walks through nature every day and she mm. had long baths as well. And she did a lot of imagery work where she would imagine that all the little cancer cells one by one were just exploding like into a little speck of light and just disappearing. Mm. She did a lot of this imagery work in her mind and a lot of walking, a lot of nature, and took away a lot of the negative influences in her life. And surprisingly, she was able to go into so-called remission or the next time she had a checkup, there was no cancer left, which speaks so strongly for exactly what you were saying, David. Often the simplest methods and the freest ones are the most potent. And I just want to remind people that mm. our power to use simple methods. Absolutely. It's not about spending lots and lots of money. It's the opposite to what in the pharmaceutical industry and industry is getting us to believe. We don't have to spend huge amounts of money. Like fasting will actually save you money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, the, the, the most pleasant things to do are free. Yeah, it's, it's about relaxing, changing what you've been doing that's stressful, getting outside and going back to nature and the way that we lived all those years as humans were evolving. Mm. And of course, you did mention some really key elements, simple, simple minerals, which are so important. 
and that was iodine and magnesium. Uh, were there any others that you wanted to mention really? Oh, selenium has had a really good rap for, for cancers as well, I've heard. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and vitamin C is another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, vitamin C, I haven't quite got my head around that because vitamin C has been used as a cancer treatment and successfully. So vitamin C, along with oxygen and other nutrients that we've mentioned already. But um, there's, there's quite a lot of research showing that antioxidants are not necessarily a treatment for cancer and can be harmful in your treatment for cancer. And vitamin C is an antioxidant. So I'm kind of a, a little bit torn both ways there because vitamin C is a cancer treatment, but it's an antioxidant which may harm the situation. So I, I, I haven't reconciled that, but I don't know if I'd take very high doses of vitamin C for cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fasting is the opposite direction and probably a better direction to go. But I would make sure that my diet included plenty of natural vitamin C. So mm-hmm. I'd be eating vegetables that are naturally high in vitamin C. I might experiment with, with vitamin C, possibly liposomal vitamin C. Liposomal vitamin C is a fairly new form of vitamin C that enables you to get quite a high dosage without getting diarrhea. Because if you, if you just take ascorbic acid on its own, particularly if it's in a pill, it's, it's not very much use. I, I certainly would not recommend pill forms of vitamin C. Mm. So liposomal maybe, but um, I, I think my own feeling is, is just a, a generally healthy diet. Mm. And there, I know I'm aware that there's a doctor in Europe who uses sodium bicarbonate extensively with very good results in treating cancer. And I think what he actually does is he makes a solution and actually does an injection to the site. I'm not well informed on the actual use of sodium bicarbonate, but I'm quite familiar that sodium bicarbonate is very alkalizing and that cancers love to thrive in lactic acid and the more acidic environments. So changing the alkalinity of the body and possibly through the sodium bicarbonate could be another way. Do you know much about that treatment, David? I refer to the study on my webpage on cancer. And yeah, the study was reported in 2012 that baking soda uh, is an effective tumor preventer in treatment. Um, it's, it's, I would probably use it as an adjunct. Um, so, you know, if, if I had a serious tumor, I'd be fasting first of all. But as an adjunct at the times that I'm not fasting, I might try and alkalize my body. It's hard to say. I, I don't have any experience uh, mm-hmm. knowing people who've used that as a treatment. Mm. And the other one, which is quite useful to know about, particularly for skin conditions, is black salve. And again, it's been a little bit targeted. It's had to go underground. And it is something that can be made by yourself or you can buy it at certain places. Black salve is a combination of several herbs. And I'm familiar with some of the ingredients. And I know that there is zinc chloride, which is known to be a 
escarotic. What it does, it eats away at certain abnormal cells. I know there's DMSO. I think there's chaparral and bloodroot. I'm not sure about what else is in there, but it's particular. It's like a type of ointment which is applied to surface cancers, particularly, and it it basically eats away and goes deep underground into the skin and targets the abnormal cells and actually neutralizes them or destroys them quite successfully. But it can cause quite a messy look for a while because as it's starting to eat away at those abnormal cells, it can, you know, obviously get a bit pussy. And all the people I know who've used it, and there's quite a few people I do know, it heals very well by maybe three months later or four months later, the skin is just beautiful, like virtually no scarring. Do you know much about that one, David, the black salve? I know a couple of people who've used black salve. Yes, it it is an effective treatment for cancer, particularly cancers on the skin. It's quite hard to use black salve if the cancer is under the skin. It can be used for breast cancers, but um, it's it's slightly more difficult to get it to to penetrate deep through the skin to a cancer that's deeper down, and and yes, generally I've I've heard good reports from people who've used it. As you say, it's messy and it can require more than one treatment. So you mm. can have a first treatment, the scabs eventually fall off. There's still a bit of the cancer there, and then you do a, a second treatment. But the outcome can be very good. Mm. There's a warning with black salve uh, that I would give, and that is that the powers against black salve um, have actually put out some recipes on the internet that are false recipes. Oh, So if you're getting a recipe from the internet, probably don't trust it unless you really do trust the site that it's coming from. Mm. It's best to try and find people who've worked with black, black salve previously who can make up the recipe and sell it to you. That's that's probably the most reliable way to go. But if you're making it yourself, be very careful. Mm. Um, there's, there's one other or two other products that I would like to mention for cancers on the skin. A traditional remedy that's been used for many, many centuries is milkweed. Milkweed, the the plant is is called Euphorbia peplus. It's, it's quite common around Perth. It just grows in the street in Perth where I live, and it's it's quite widespread. I'm not sure about other parts, or other other continents, but milkweed is is well known. When you when you break off a piece of milkweed, there's a milky sap that drips out of it, and you put a single drop of sap on the skin cancer, and you have to be very, very careful not to get it in your eyes or to put it anywhere else. Um, I had one friend that used milkweed for a cancer, skin cancer on his face, and he put it on the cancer on his face which it actually, uh, incidentally, it, it healed it perfectly well, but he wiped his eye with his oh. finger after applying it. And he had a, a several days of a terribly swollen eye and pain. Mm. So be very careful with milkweed. But it, it's an effective treatment for cancers of the skin. Mm. And mm. again, it, it just costs nothing and it's been used for centuries. Mm. What I've used, I, I have had a couple of, of minor skin cancers, 
basal cell carcinomas, and it, it can be used for squamous cell carcinomas. And the, the product is called cell food. Cell food is sold as an oxygenator. You put a couple of drops in a glass of water and it raises the oxygen level in your blood. So in that sense, it's, it's good as a cancer pre preventative and it, it's, um, it's, it's a wonderful product. It's, got a, it's also got a whole range of trace minerals in it. So I do recommend it just as a, as, a, as a general, what would it be? Not a supplement, but just uh, to enhance your diet. Mm. But completely without any promotion from cell food. And I would hate for this product to be banned or vilified because they are not selling it for anything else. But my own personal use of cell food is putting, if, if I have any kind of skin cancer or anything that I even fear might be a skin cancer, you put half a drop of cell food directly on the skin. And if it's a cancer, uh, within 30 seconds, it stings and burns. If it's not a cancer and it's healthy skin, it's just like putting a drop of water on your skin. Absolutely nothing happens. So it's quite an incredible diagnostic. It tells you whether something on your skin is a cancer or not. And after putting it on your skin, it burns and it stings for 10 or 20 minutes. And then the cancer gets looks quite red and i've i've used it several times over many many years i've been I've, I've been aware of this product for 20 years so it needs an application once or twice a day on a skin cancer it burns and it stings for a while it creates a, a quite a, a red inflamed looking it it goes quite nasty before it gets better it looks very red and inflamed and then eventually it starts to form a scab and at that point, when you put more cell food on it, uh, like just one drop, it doesn't even sting. So you know you've cured it. Mm. And depending on the size of the cancer, it can take several days or several weeks to, to cure it. And then the scab falls off and there's just pure, clean skin underneath mm. it. It's amazing. I, I've used that mm. with, with moles that have gone a bit cancerous. I've had mm. quite a large mole on my own skin, mm. and this large mole took a, a week or two to, to heal. So not only did I heal the cancer, but uh, at the end of this treatment, there was no mole either. I just had clear skin where there used to be a mole that went cancerous. Mm. So this is completely unofficial. It is not what cell food is sold for, and the manufacturer in no ways mentions this in any way. It's just my own personal experience. Mm, that's but fantastic. I've found it to be a wonderful product. Yes. I wanted to mention too that there are some fantastic herbs that have been found to be very helpful for cancerous conditions. I won't go into them in, in a, a large way, but Chinese medicine have a very interesting take on cancer. They call it blood stagnation. So in other words, it's a form of inhibited blood flow to a certain area to the point where it stagnates and forms a tumour. So they have quite a few herbs under the category of blood movers. And one of the big ones that they use is frankincense. It comes under a, a different name in Chinese medicine, but frankincense has been known to be very helpful for cancer. And the Chinese medicine have also made a formula, which is called, it comes under the name of, I think it's called Astragalus 1, 
uh, it's not just the pure astragalus plant, but it, there uh, is a combination of maybe uh, 10 or 12 different herbs that work both on the immune system and also on dissolving the stagnation problems. There's other herbs as well that I'm aware of. There's Essiac tea. There's even an Australian Scavola spinensis, which is an indigenous plant, very spiky a plant that grows inland from Geraldton. Some people are picking that and making an infusion and drinking that regularly with very good results for cancer. There is just one last thing that I wanted to add, and it's an unusual remedy that you wouldn't think of, but it's an antiparasitical drug, and it's often used for deworming animals. See, I'll see if I can say this right, fenzabenzanol. You probably know about this, but I'm, I've read really good research, and I know people who've been taking this. It's quite readily available through pet stores, <laughs> and I know it sounds out there and, and wild, but the research is phenomenal in its ability to treat and to prevent a reoccurrence of cancer. So do, do you want to quickly elaborate on that, David, because I can see that you've got some mention of that on your website too. Yes, on, on, on the Grow Youthful website on the cancer page, there's a section on these, they're called anthelmintic benzimidazole drugs. And uh, yes, fenbendazole is uh, available generally in, in agricultural and, and uh, livestock and pit management. Yeah, I've heard very good reports on it as well. <laughs> of, of course, the mainstream cancer industry is trying to discredit that. But if, there's a, if you are going to use drugs, I would, I would recommend at a minimum investigating going in that direction. And on my website, I, I do refer to it and there's, it refers to a couple of papers that have been written on it as well. And I think one of the reasons why it works so well is because what we were speaking about before, cancer behaves very much like a fungus, exactly like a fungus, a fermentation. And that's why this anti-parasite um, drug seems to work exceptionally well. So I think we're going to need to leave it at that, but we are so happy to share this information with you all so that you can, you've got some basic helpers if ever you need it thank you so much david for your input it's a pleasure manisha thank you for having me that's fantastic we'll have more to follow soon so bye for now david see you bye everyone